New York is proposing new cybersecurity regulations that would require hospitals to implement defensive systems for potential digital attacks and develop response plans when cybersecurity attacks do happen. To help implement the technological upgrades necessary to meet the new standards, hospitals can apply for funding from a $500 million pool of resources. To discuss the new standards, including why they're necessary and how they compare to the existing landscape of regulations, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Colin Ahern, who was appointed the first chief cyber officer of the state of New York in June of 2022. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So for starters, what does it mean to be the New York State chief cyber officer? You know, obviously, as the first one, it's an honor. You know, uh, we're really focused on principally uh, a few areas. Number one is making sure that the services that the state provides via the systems it controls are resilient and secure. Two, that we're providing tools for county and local governments to better provide for their own cybersecurity. Three, that we're putting forward regulations that ensure the safety and resilience of critical infrastructure. Four, that we're ensuring economic and workforce development of cyber and cyber-related issues uh, continues so that you know high-quality middle-class jobs in cyber and AI and tech can continue to be in the state. And that five, we're providing advice and guidance to residents, visitors, businesses, citizens, uh, the public, uh, so they can lead safer digital lives. And you said we, so it's not just you in your basement with a big two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew working on this stuff? It's not only that. Uh, you know, you build an organization. It's really about ensuring that, you know, as the principal cyber advisor to the governor, that the governor and the senior staff get high-quality information so that they can make the right decision at the right time with the right info. And two, um, that the various state agencies, I would say in particular a few of them, the Office of Information Technology mm-hmm. Services, the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services, the New York State Police, the Division of Military and Naval Affairs, you know, as well as the regulatory agencies, the Department of Financial Services, the Department of Health, the Public Service Commission, uh, that they all understand and work closely together so the left arm knows what the right arm uh, is doing uh, because the governor's laid out a clear vision for cybersecurity, you know, obviously in her, um, in her cybersecurity strategy that we released uh, earlier this year, uh, and that everybody knows that how they can make you know incremental progress against that, against her vision, each and every day. Well, let's turn to the cybersecurity threats uh, against uh, healthcare facilities in New York. What are some of the, the dangers there, and how big of a problem is this? I think they really fall in what we've seen over the last couple of years is really a convergence of threats. You know, maybe three, five, seven, ten years ago, there were probably two or three kinds of threats that went after two or three kinds of organizations. The two major ones would be, you know, nation state actors, foreign militaries and foreign intelligence organizations that want to go after the defense industrial base, other foreign militaries, etc. So very sophisticated, very well resourced, principally foreign governments going after other very well resourced governments and military targets. And also cyber criminals, you know, cyber criminals going after where the money was, financial institutions and others. I think what we've really seen in the last three years and really accelerating is a convergence of these threats where nation states and criminals are using some of the same tools. For example, we see the North Koreans engaging in extremely sophisticated criminal activity to get hard currency for their weapons and other programs. We see... Uh, in particular, Russian-speaking cyber criminals working at the behest or on behalf of the Russian government in some cases. So the convergence of these threats means that everyone has to raise their game. 
And so that the attacks are becoming more frequent, you know, as your listeners have probably gathered, they're becoming more significant, in particular with what's commonly called ransomware or software that locks up systems and data and holds them hostage, holds them for ransom. You know, they've become uh, longer in duration. As more and more things are digitized and rely on computers, it takes longer and longer when an attack does occur for those attacks to be cured and for normal operations to resume. So when it comes to healthcare facilities, is it just about, one, ensuring that the data they have doesn't get out there, and two, ensuring that their digital systems aren't interfered with in a meaningful way? I think it's really, you know, the our regulatory frame is ensuring that the operations of what are, you know, formerly called Article 28 facilities are general hospitals, making sure that these facilities can continue normal operations. That means that we want them to have baseline cybersecurity programs to take basic steps such as multi-factor authentication, which probably your listeners have heard about, and other essential steps such that the operations of the hospital can continue. That means risk assessments and some other baseline steps, uh, because obviously with the evolution of not just how care is provided in hospitals, take radiology, medical imaging, in many cases, you know, radiology is delivered by a computer over the internet. So the kinds of care that are provided in hospitals is very different than it was even 10 years ago. So ensuring that those systems uh, can be protected from cyber threats, which continue to evolve, is why you know, the governor leading the nation really in protecting health care delivered in hospitals. You know, Obviously, you probably heard about HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which is really centered on protected health information. Obviously, we care deeply about people's protected health information, but the regulations themselves are focused on making sure that when you go to a hospital, the computer that delivers your care is secure and reliable. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. Uh, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about cybersecurity regulations for state hospitals in New York. And our guest is Colin Ahern, who is the chief cyber officer of the state of New York. So you mentioned uh, HIPAA, and I read in uh, Fierce Healthcare, and it's a outlet I didn't even know existed until now, uh, that the proposed regulations are largely in line with existing federal requirements. Is that a fair assessment? And if so, where do the state standards that we're talking about here go beyond federal mandates? Um, I think that is, yes, largely true. Like I said, the the frame for our regulations, obviously the health, you know, HIPAA, the act, broadly speaking, requires things like risk assessments. It requires things like if you have a certain number of records that are you lose control over in a certain period, you have to declare that and then you're subject to fines. Our regulations... Um, go further in that we have, you know, for example, assessing internal and external cybersecurity risks using specific techniques related to your risk assessment, such as uh, protecting against unauthorized access or other malicious acts. Uh, and really, um, we think appropriately framing the activities of the hospitals themselves and not in, although it is important, the loss of protected health information, but in a program which assesses the risks to the operation of the hospital itself and the controls and the risks that are presented by um, by the systems which make up that care delivery apparatus. And moreover, also require things like downtime procedures, which are rehearsed and documented, an incident response program, which is documented, uh, kind of 
Um, obviously, we think that um, the regulatory burden, we aim to make it as light a touch as possible, but no lighter. Well, to implement these new security measures, the state is letting hospitals tap into a $500 million fund that was part of this year's state budget. How do you envision that money being used? And I guess what would constitute uh, an eligible expense? Uh, for example, you know, one of the things would be uh, if your care facility doesn't have multi-factor authentication, which is widely acknowledged as a basic control, one of the top reasons that a cyber attack is successful. So if you need financial assistance to uplift a legacy system to, you know, uh, enhance an existing set of computers that don't have multi-factor, uh, that that would be, for example, could potentially be, be eligible. Is there an expectation that these regulations will cost hospitals money either in upfront costs or recurring expenses beyond what's available through this $500 million fund? Um, I think there is an acknowledgement that we all need to raise our game. Uh, and in some of the work that the Department of Health did to prepare for this was over 20 conversations with hospital associations and care facilities around the state. We have, I think, appropriately contemplated some of those costs. Obviously, actually, just you know, a couple of days before we recorded this, uh, they're in the state's register. There's a 60-day comment period which actually ends in early February. So we are actively soliciting uh, further feedback from the community, not just practitioners, but also cybersecurity professionals, academics, care facilities themselves. Uh, but we do think that there are costs associated with this program. There are costs, moreover, associated with not doing these things. We've seen, you know, One Brooklyn, uh, other care facilities in Texas, the Irish National Health System, um, the National Health System in Britain, other places where these cyber attacks have caused diversions. You know, people have been sent to other care facilities. We've seen, you know, even throughout our own state, some facilities uh, have had to been closed for short periods uh, because of the loss of these systems. So the cost of not doing these things from both a financial perspective and moreover, uh, the risk to the public is also very, very significant. And really what is the, the impetus for these regulations and, and, and the capital grant program in the budget? Well, based on the discussions you've had with these stakeholders, does it seem like eligible hospitals have the existing technological expertise to even apply for state funds, let alone implement new cybersecurity measures? We think that there is a spectrum. We think that there are some facilities that are out the gate going to be compliant with these regulations. I would note that in the proposed regulations, which like we just talked about are, are subject to public comment, um, there is a period in which there's a 12-month period currently in the proposed regulations for which hospitals would have to become compliant with certain uh, of the aspects of the regulation. Um, obviously, there's some reporting, additional and enhanced reporting requirements like reporting when you believe a cyber attack has occurred that will materially impact the delivery of care in a health facility. Um, that takes effect you know, as soon as the regulations take effect, which is a common pattern in regulation. Uh, but we currently have a one-year lead-in um, in the in them, but we do think that there are some facilities which are exceeding these regulations out of the gate. We do think and expect some facilities will need to do work, but all of us together, you know, the governor said we can either succeed together in cybersecurity or we can fail separately. And I think uniquely in healthcare, these systems are interconnected. The computer systems are interconnected. The health delivery systems are interconnected. Um, so in particular. And kind of, ev it's even more, it's magnified in the healthcare space um, in kind of a way unique in critical infrastructure. 
And after a quick break, we'll continue our discussion about state cybersecurity regulations proposed for hospitals in New York, who will have access to a $500 million pool of state resources to help fund some of the technological upgrades that are necessary. And our guest is Colin Ahern, the state's chief cyber officer. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our discussion with Colin Ahern, the state's chief cyber officer, who's here to discuss the state cybersecurity regulations proposed for hospitals in New York, who will have access to a $500 million pool of state resources to help fund some of the technological upgrades to keep their operations safe from digital attacks. Well, I want to pivot to talk about what happens when there actually is some sort of cybersecurity attack under the proposed regulations, who would need to be notified if there is some sort of incident? And what would the timeline be for making those notifications? Uh, The Department of Health has sought to keep these in line with other existing reporting requirements. It's most centered on what actions the hospital needs to take as a result of really any major incident. Uh, and that would be, you know, as currently contemplated in other regulations under this, uh, under this article, Article 28, you have to notify within hours because the commissioner of the Department of Health is obligated in state law to notify others, for example, if you have to go on emergency room diversion or stroke diversion or, you know, there are actions that have ramifications for other facilities within a geographic area. These regulations are really in keeping with the Department of Health's responsibility to notify other stakeholders in the event of a situation in which people have to be put another place. Uh, so those regulations, which already exist and hospitals already uh, comply with, we're kind of raising cyber to the level of those other uh, existing significant incidents that hospitals uh, already are in keeping with. Uh, but what obviously we're making more clear that uh, because cyber involves other systems and involves other networks, uh, in particular, we need to be even more cognizant when those events do transpire. Hospitals, in the event of an incident, would also have to have response plans for any sort of cybersecurity incident. You've actually done research on on what makes a meaningful response plan. So what would your advice be to these hospitals that might be thinking about this issue for the first time? I think it has to be informed by really two realities. One is the nature of the operations and business processes which exist at the facility. Care providers, networks, you know, medical you know, you might have residents, you might have be a teaching hospital, you might have an electronic health record system that's in the cloud, you might have one, you know, electronic health record system that's within a data center you control. So first you have to understand your business and technical context. Uh, and that means taking stock of the systems that you have, the processes that they support and the services that you deliver. And then two, We need to take a risk-informed and threat-centric approach to what's happening, unfortunately, in the world today. And the top three things that we see is, number one, data breaches. So that's people attempting to steal sensitive health information to either blackmail folks, to sell it on the dark web, to, you know, do a variety of, of nefarious things. Two, we talked about ransomware or destructive malware attacks, or sometimes called, where 
they encrypt or lock up data or systems and don't unlock it uh, until a ransom is paid. So that'd be the second kind. And the third would be a denial, what's called a denial of service attack. And that's where they make unavailable certain systems, principally those connected with the internet, uh, until a demand is met, either an ideological demand and other things. So, you know, we do see basically these three kinds of attacks, but I think it does depend on an understanding of the business context and a cognizance of the threat environment and what the risks are that those threats pose to those business operations. How, if at all, do you see these regulations potentially impacting healthcare consumers? Is it just going to be about when they want to, say, access their records, they might have to go through multi-factor authentication, or are there other things that might uh, impact either the delivery of care or how they learn about their care or how they pay for their care or or whatever? Um, I think principally these are things that the state is requiring of general hospitals to ensure that the general hospital can provide care to people when they need it most. And it's not in the way HIPAA is, for example, requiring activities on the behalf of an individual consumer of healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's on ensuring that the piece of critical infrastructure regulated by the state, a hospital, is taking the basic and appropriate steps because of the world we unfortunately live in today, where they are a target of significant uh, cyber criminals and others. Uh, such that the hospital themselves are taking additional steps because the world has changed. And as such, we have a responsibility as policymakers, um, as parents, as consumers, to ensure that those that provide us critical services are doing so in a manner that is commensurate with the world that we live in today and the risk environment that we find ourselves. And we think that that's what people expect and that's what people demand and that's what you know, Governor Hochul is, is ensuring that we deliver. You mentioned reaching out to industry stakeholders to help craft these regulations, but who else did you potentially talk to for these rules? Were you on like the dark web circulating uh, requests for proposals from gray hat hackers or uh, who else were you listening to? The Department of Health, I think, like I said, you know, conducted over 20 listening sessions uh, with academics, public-private partnerships, stakeholders, experts, and we're continuing those discussions. Um, you know, the New York Cyber Task Force at Columbia's Institute of Global Policy, you know, the Greater New York Health Alliance, you know, industry associations. We hope that people comment on these regulations. The department will review all the comments that are submitted. We hope that these regulations can be made better. We think they're strong. Uh, we think that they're not only strong, but, you know, appropriate and necessary. We're at the end of the beginning of the listening, but certainly not at the beginning of the end. Over the next several months, you know, we will be taking public comments in written form uh, and then continuing, you know, via the department and their various outreach efforts, principally with the healthcare community, the general hospitals and care providers and technology organizations, uh, but also others. I noticed you didn't address whether gray hat hackers were employed. Is that because my question hit just too close to home there? (laughs) No. I think that, you know, we certainly welcome anyone to comment on the regulations. Uh, And certainly whatever color hat, if they have constructive feedback on our regulations, they can go online to the Department of Health and they can submit a comment. Absolutely. Is there an opportunity to use these regulations for other industries that might be vulnerable to a cybersecurity attack, whether it's the financial sector, energy providers, or just small businesses that uh, maintain relevant uh, personal sensitive data? 
actually on November 1st, the Department of Financial Services adopted the first update to the Department of Financial Services cybersecurity regs for state chartered banks and insurance companies. In December of last year, uh, some of your listeners probably recall, uh, we signed legislation that actually passed unanimously in both houses to give the Public Service Commission the ability to regulate energy distribution within the state. And in April of this year, the Public Service Commission passed the first set of rules uh, for energy distributors, basically in sum and substance ensuring that energy distributors have cybersecurity plans in the same manner materially that they have you know, storm response plans. I think that you would see a lot of commonality amongst the regulations. You know, Her vision is that the regulations are synchronized across other entities of the state. And obviously, we did closely coordinate with the federal government, as our agencies always do, uh, to ensure that the burden of these regulations, like we said, is manageable and is, is as manageable as it can be given the significant requirements that really our adversaries are, are putting on these organizations. But is there, say, like an opportunity for these regulations to be maybe tweaked in some sort of minor way so that universities c- can utilize them since they have sensitive data and are large institutions? Yeah, I think that uh, certainly that's something we're looking at. But you know, the kind of the regulatory path of, of these specific regulations limits them to these facilities mm-hmm. uh, because we wanted to choose regulations that we thought were absolutely necessary to occur. And as you know, we're certainly not precluding you know, the world informing our risk picture and, uh, and doing other things, but we're very focused on ensuring that these regulations uh, are the best that they can be before they're adopted. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We've been speaking with Colin Ahern. He is the state's chief cyber officer. Colin, thank you so much for making the time, and I hope you can come back and install some print drivers on my computer. You got it. Will do. Thanks for having me. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.